Welcome back to Say What Needs Saying. I'm Zach. And I'm Brandon. And today we are here with Sherman Tylosky, the host of the Friends and Fellow Citizens podcast. Sherman, thanks for coming on the show, man. Zach and Brandon, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your podcast, and then today with with Sherman, we're going to be talking about the January 6th riots. And if I'm understanding right, you were actually at the at the Capitol Hill complex at that time. So uh, after you tell us a little bit about you, your podcast, you know, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit about myself. So growing up, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and I grew up in the city, but I also went to school across the Bay Bridge and I, we had a place across the Golden Gate Bridge. So it was quite a Bay Area, California life for me when I was growing up. And I grew up in a household where um, I had, you know, my mom is from originally from Taiwan and my dad is of Eastern European descent. So it was really interesting to have different cultures, but matching them together be a very American family. I think that's really how I would describe it. Uh, growing up in San Francisco, is, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience to not only appreciate the city, but also to get involved in international affairs. You know, I learned a lot of foreign languages when I was growing up. I did Mandarin, Latin, even classical Greek for a little while. So foreign languages kind of tied in really with international affairs. And that's kind of how I really got started with getting myself interested in domestic politics, but also international affairs too. And then throughout high school, I did a very rigorous IB program. Some of you might have heard of the International Baccalaureate program. I tell you, it is a killer. <laughs> very, very difficult all throughout my high school. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, Cardiff was really, uh, which is Cardiff is in Wales, is where they grade the papers and everything. And they, mm -hmm. they, uh, they certainly had a, a pretty, pretty uh, strict kind of way of doing things. <laughs> let's put it, let's put it mildly. <laughs> right. Um, and then I really wanted to learn about America, not just from the kind of inside out, but right from the outside in. So I decided to go to school in the UK. And in 2015, I went to King's College London, which is at the heart of London. It's about a 15 minute walk from uh, Westminster, from Parliament, from 10 Downing Street, where the British Prime Minister lives. And I had a wonderful experience, a wonderful three years there. I did a liberal arts degree, but with a, a politics major. So it was a very American kind of degree program. Most programs mm -hmm. in the UK, you go in, like if you do chemistry, like you're doing chemistry, you're not doing anything else. <laughs> but for liberal arts, you get a bit more flexibility. And it was really good to have that interdisciplinary education, combining different fields together uh, into a very eccentric curriculum and experience. Mm -hmm. And I was there during the Brexit referendum. I was there when we had some very unfortunate uh, terrorist attacks, I'm saying the ISIS attacks that happened in the UK and elsewhere in Europe. And so that trying time really did a couple things for me. Number one is that it made me aware of the politicization and division that's going on in multiple societies, not just the United States, but clearly in the UK as well with Brexit. But number two is also that I was really concerned, more concerned about national security. And I was concerned about things like Russia with the poisoning of Sergei Skripal uh, in 2018, uh, or the terrorist attacks I mentioned earlier um, with the rise of China and what was happening in the South China Sea. And all these things really came together. And I really decided to pursue something in national security. So after 2018, I decided to come back to the United States, you know, to 
get a bit of a, a better glimpse of what national security was like. And mm -hmm. I had the privilege to attend the Bush School of Government Public Service at Texas A&M University. Oh, wow. Yes. And, uh, go Aggies, uh, gig them, <laughs> gig them, I should say. Um, and it was and just being going to school next to a presidential library museum was really an incredible experience just to be able to interact with um, that part of the National Archives is because the library and museum are part of the National Archives, generally speaking, um, and to learn the art of, of um, governance and policymaking uh, really got me going. You know, I started when in high school, I was reading the newspapers, everything. Now I got to interact with foreign practitioners, uh, including an FBI agent, a State Department official, and some uh, CIA uh, counterintelligence chief. So it was just a really immersive education experience for me. And I really wanted to work in Congress. I knew that I wanted to at least intern on the Hill. Mm -hmm. And in summer 2019, I interned for a House Democrat um, as someone who is more local to my area. And I had a phenomenal experience giving tours and uh, doing administrative tasks and doing all the things that you would expect, I would say, from a more normal congressional internship standpoint. That's pretty exciting in and of itself. So, I, I mean, at first, when we, we heard the, I guess, the general uh, outline was that you were at the at the riots, you're like, oh, man, this is what, 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 what exactly we might have in our hands here. I know, uh, right? And then we're here, and I'm like, oh, okay. It's just, it's just I'm, I'm like, I'm waiting for the comma. I'm waiting for the deep breath. I'm waiting for the pause. And I was like, oh, no, it's, just, it's golden all the way through. It wasn't an exodus all the way out to D.C. the day before. It wasn't the follow-up plan on Twitter, no. But continue. I'm very enthralled. Sure, sure. I, and I, I kind of set the set up this uh, summer 2019 congressional internship just to kind of juxtapose it with what I'm about to tell you right now, mm -hmm. uh, because I, I mentioned tours, right? There's certainly no right. tours going on at this time as we're mm -hmm. recording. And fast forward to graduation. After I graduated, I did a, a, a stint uh, with a foreign policy research t uh, think tank, which was amazing. But then I was like, I really wanted to go back on the Hill. And I wanted to, I always believed that I wanted to work for a Democrat and a Republican. Uh, you know, I had my own personal beliefs and everything, but I wanted to learn both sides. Um, and I decided to intern for a House Republican uh, this time around. And um, I started my internship knowing that things were very, very different, but clearly not as different as I thought it was. I started my internship on January 4th, 2021. And it was around the time of the Georgia uh, to the two special elections. Mm -hmm. So we had that going, but I'll, I'll never forget, you know, on the morning of January 6th, 2021, I knew that we were going to have something huge scale. You know, we were told that there's going to be a lot of security and uh, no, for pretty much as you can probably tell with some of the news and all that, no one was going to really be anywhere close near the, the, uh, the house or Senate chambers, because those are just all members only. And I'll never forget, you know, walking into work that day, um, to to start well, just my third day, you know, basically I haven't just met my fellow staffers, uh, those who were helping me, you know, helping me and giving me tasks. And I walked in and I remember speaking to someone and I said, this is a big, big test. I don't know. There's something I'm, I'm feeling something that is not right today. And 
fast forward about a few hours and we get that first evacuation call. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that moment when you realize that there are tons of, well, first of all, tons of people outside the Capitol. As you can, as people have seen the images, right. um, seeing all those people. And I knew right then, given my kind of experience, you know, being DC before and everything, this is not normal. We are not in normal times now. This is, there is something fundamentally wrong going on outside. And it, it was, it was terrifying. I know, unfortunately I can't reveal all the details obviously for confidentiality reasons. And I'm, I'm sure you both can understand and the audience can understand, but um, the feelings that were going through, I mean, I felt, I felt scared. I felt like this was something that was unraveling that was so unrepresentative mm-hmm. of what this place should be. It felt like we were failing that ultimate test of democracy during those times. Even just, you could even hear the emotional, the, I mean, the emotion going through you now, just mm-hmm. just trying to recall such a moment. Um, during the, at least the moments where you guys were evacuated into the bunkers or whatever, um, if, if one were to be a fly on the wall, what were some of the, at least the comments that you could hear from either the more veteran uh, constituents in there or some of the other Congress Congress mm. individuals. Well, you know, there are so many emotions going on and I'm glad you brought this up by the way, Brandon, um, mm. even to this day, like we're recording a few months in, I just want to say, I still get these weird flashbacks, like random flashbacks even now and then, especially when I read about January 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would, I would read about it. And for some reason I would just start daydreaming. And uh, I, I don't need to see anyone right or anything like that, but I'm just, you know, it, it's one of those things where you just don't, you're, you're just never going to be able to let go of that right. crazy, crazy time. And about kind of the scene to just to kind of set the scene there, you know, I was, I was actually twice, actually the first time um, many people have probably heard that there was, there were reports of a bomb that were was placed out of the RNC mm-hmm. um, and uh, RNC headquarters, which is not far from uh, the Cannon house office building. And I was on the towards the top of that building, um, and that was the first evacuation. And people were just like, "Whoa, you know, what what is what is happening? How how could there be this?" So we we couldn't also confirm these these things because this is all real time. Right. Um, you can only get if they're like an alert system of some kind. And um, you know, you had a combination of people who have been on the hill. Some some have only been on the hill for a few months, few years, maybe. Um, you don't see a lot of people who've been on the hill for extended period of time, and there's a lot of turnover. It's just it's just a thing over there. Um, but for me to kind of be in that environment where people are running around, you know, there's, you can imagine there's press, there's officers, there's members and staffers all, all running around. And it was, it was just absolute crazy madness. Um, I, I remember like we were, we were being evacuated and I thought I, I was, I, we were being told to kind of go where to be and everything. Again, I can't reveal like details or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I remember when there was a, a Capitol police officer, by the way, um, God bless these men and women, by the way, who do so much to protect the Capitol. Of course. I remember one of them saying, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I believed him. And I believe that things are going to be all right. That no matter what was going to happen that day, we are going to be, we are going to come back out of this stronger. Um, and that's, that's kind of the big 
memory I, I remember um, before we had the, the, the hiding everything. And, th- and there's obviously new supports about all kinds of testimonies. Um, I'm happy to get into more of those, you know, some things that you've heard about. I can't like, you know, some people have different accounts and it's, it's a big complex. So I want to do, do point out that the capital complex is a huge place. So I'm only talking about one part of the house side. Um, I don't know what it was like on the Senate side or even on uh, this side of for other house buildings or other parts of the capital complex. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I could just take, take away a couple things and then I'd love to love to get into a conversation about the event, more about the event and kind of how this plays out in uh, left and right wing extremism. But one takeaway I always want out is definitely we have to hear from everybody. Uh, I love to see an oral history archive being started right now mm-hmm. because there's, there were people in different situations at the time. And the problem is that with the, this day and age of 24 seven news reporting, there can be a lot that can be kind of conflated, you know, mm-hmm. and mixed up. Um, and it's not, I don't think that's, that's right for whether it's for a, a January 6th commission, which is being proposed right now, or really just for the public to understand what happened that day, because people need to really know the facts. They need to know that there were a number of problems that have existed long before January 6th, some that were problems within, say, two weeks before the day. Um, but we need to just get back, get back to, you know, just the facts, you know. Um, so that's number one. Number two, clearly also is that um, we are living in really, really divisive times. I don't think we, in recent memory, I don't think we've been as divided as we are. Um, and January 6th is just one example of that. It's a culmination of a number of things that have kept going wrong and we've just kind of ignored. We feel we felt like, oh, over time it's going to go away. Or maybe that, oh, it's not my problem. It's, it's always everybody else. You know, that kind of, those kind of mentalities. But most importantly, I think the, uh, one takeaway, and then I'd love to get more into detail on some of the things I've said and some other things you want to get into, but is that I always say, while January 6th happened in a day, what led to January 6th did not occur in a day. No, several weeks right. and tweets that were eventually compiled. And- right, exactly. Yes. And, and uh, all kinds of events and, you know, and you mentioned tweets and different and obviously the conspiracy theories that were being put out. Uh, there is such a blame game going on. And and I understand it's hard. You know, it's a hard subject to talk about even now as I'm speaking uh, at this time. But a lot of it has to deal with some level of personal responsibility. I know that uh, not saying that, you know, everyone's responsible for what's happened on January 6th. I'm just saying that no matter in whatever situation we're in, whether it's people you know, debating about a, a political topic or uh, people just um, debating on the House floor, no matter what venue we're in, we have to keep in mind what keeps us a democracy. It's about mm-hmm. that civil conversation. It's about these civil debates. It's about the kinds of debates that, and talks that so you guys have had on this show. Um, and I, I really hope that when we walk out of this, uh, this episode, we take into heart you know, the, the things that make America great, the things that keep us even unite, even in divisive times. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of what I would, would know about it, which is January 6th was just one day in history, but let's not forget that there's so many days ahead of us that we can get to a, a better America, that we can get to a better political environment. 
Yeah, that's a great take. And I, I really appreciate you sharing your perspective from inside the complex, because I, I can't even imagine, you know, people have so many work horror stories, but showing <laughs> up and then two days later, something like that happens. Right. Like, I, I can't even imagine. But I, you, you've shared a little bit. Um, but what are what are your overall takes on on the event itself? I mean, there's mm -hmm. like you said, there's a lot of blame game going around. You know, some people yeah. are saying that it's Trump's fault or it's Parler's fault or it's like you said, personal responsibility, right? Maybe mm -hmm. every you know every protester and rioter, right? It's it should be on their shoulders and their shoulders alone, and the rest was just inflammatory rhetoric. Um, you know, what's what's kind of your take on the overall thing? You know, do you think sure. that do we do you have any ideas personally what you think caused this? Do you have someone like um, what's your take on on Trump's involvement? You know, these these were all super big questions. And obviously, there's like you said, the divisiveness surrounding this. Um, I don't want to know. I'm probably these numbers are probably out of uh they, they may not be accurate anymore, but I want to say it was something like, what, 70, 73, 74 percent of Republican voters wanted to uh, like move on from January 6th, whereas something I don't remember the Democrat number, but a lot of Democrats didn't. Well, before we even get into that, before we get the, the comment back from Sherman, we actually uh, this is not even this wasn't planned, but the Senate Republicans have blocked, according to yesterday, yeah. the January 6th commission. So it's almost as if. And that percentage followed through and yep. they're not going to go forth and um, having an independent inquiry to investigate the uh, the riots. Right. Yeah. That, that divisiveness it shows right now. Um, so, yeah, Sherman, you know, what what's your take? What what do you think on the on the January 6th event in in and of itself? You know, the, the cause, all of that, you know, what, what are your thoughts on it? Absolutely. So I'll go with the the main perpetrators. I'm definitely I am a huge advocate for going after every single person in, you know, in all the different charges that are available. There's conspiracy, right. there's destruction of property, government property, et cetera. I really commend the department of justice for going after all the people who breached the Capitol and those who participated in, um, in, in, in the breach. Now I, I do, I want to emphasize that I do, do think because of this fine line between you know, free speech and, you know, let's say looting, you know, a, a government uh, building, um, mm. you know, not, maybe not everyone at the rally breached the, the Capitol, but obviously every single, I am a huge supporter of going after those who, who did what they did because it's just right. absolutely, it's horrible. It's illegal. It's a horrible image. And it really also is very, very, as, as I mentioned before, uh, very, is there so much hatred towards an institution? Like I've never seen anything like that, you know, like, like seeing all these people hating a whole institution. In fact, many of them are supposed to, are they probably elected, you know, they probably voted to be in office. So um, that is definitely one thing. I, I'm a huge favor you know, of having that full investigation and pursuit of charges against, against those um, who participated in the capital riots. I do think that the, origins of this really come in two different ways. Number one is clearly about the, the 2020 election, all the mm -hmm. conspiracy theories that went along, um, whether it's QAnon or some other, I believe there's some other ones that were, I believe also, there weren't too many, I think, organized militia groups. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe a lot of them were individuals, but still, nevertheless, still followed this 
really, really dangerous ideology and this um, this pursuit of thinking that the election was stolen mm-hmm. um, and then going forward with with what they did. And I do think that President Trump does play a role. I, I, I will say, you know, I, when I was younger, I didn't think that words were, were meant a lot because, you know, part of my family is from New York. And in New York, you know, when you exchange words and everything, like <laughs> words are just words, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's street talk and everything. But I realized that in this day and age with social media, with, with this kind of screen, no, that you can exactly. And that's, and that's something that has, that I think has changed a lot in the last several years. I've really realized that the power of words is even more overwhelming because of this technology and because of the social media we have nowadays. And I, I do think that I, if I could address one part of this this whole whole day, I was so disappointed, regardless of what people think of President Trump's politics, by the way, in this whole mm-hmm. conversation, um, or whether you're Republican or Democrat or whatever, um, but I was really, really upset at the response he gave. The video response that I think was about two minutes long um, because it didn't accomplish anything. And people were begging in both the White, ha- in the White House, in the Pentagon, in the Capitol, across the nation, across the world. They were just begging for the commander in chief to put an end to this. Um, and I, I personally do not believe it came through. Um, and I, I couldn't even, I actually couldn't, I have not, as listened um, much again anymore because it was just that bad of a response in my view. Um, and more broadly though, I, I mentioned that one was the conspiracy theories and everything, but I also do think that for a long period of time, we have unfortunately gotten used to this sort of election interference sort of al- back and forth between both parties. Right. Um, I, I Again, regardless of people's, political affiliations, I'm sure some people remember back in 2016 when uh, when people were asking, were challenging then-candidate Trump, um, and I, I can't remember if they asked Clinton at the time, but they were asking both, I think the, the moderator in one of the debates was asking both candidates, would you accept the results of the election if you right. lost? And I remember there was a whole kind of flurry over that fury over over that sort of thing and then from then on we had you know the russian collusion investigation and all this this happening and i have i was i had a really great conversation back in uh, texas a&m with with one of my peers and he was a he was a specialist in russian politics like he knew russian everything and i remember in the midst of all this he said this whole with this whole division that's happened that was happening with uh, Russian collusion, the impeachment, everything. He said the Russians are laughing at us because right. this is exactly what they want. They yeah. want to sow disinformation. No, they don't matter. They don't care what the um, what the result was or what kind of investigation, what kind of results would come out of it. They just wanted the United States to be divided and fight each other so that they can take advantage of, say, Crimea or take advantage of, you know, of say social media networks or whatever you want to think of. And I bring this to the broader conversation here too, because as we reflect on January 6th, we reflect on the factors that come into play. If you recall what I said earlier, I think we we are just living in a very toxic environment right now. Um, and what has occurred over the last several, you could say several years, several decades, there's different ways of looking at it. But one thing is for sure is that we, we are not in, this kind of more 
bipartisan environment as we saw after 9-11. That's why when people were talking about the 9-11 commission, um, it was, they were, those were very, very different times. I can't believe it's now almost 20 years since, uh, since 9-11, but we unfortunately have not been successful enough in doing what we need to do, which is to figure out the facts, go mm-hmm. after the people who actually did it and tell the story as truthfully as possible. And just very basically try and try and treat people as human beings. I know it sounds really, really simple, right? But we have gotten to a point where if you've noticed in the, in the event, I, I noticed there are all these people with smartphones, you know, have you seen, you know, the people mm-hmm. live streaming right. and in fact, some people were caught with live streaming. I don't know what exactly it is about that, but I think there's something fundamentally wrong about this, this idea that there are people who storm the Capitol live stream it thinking that there's some kind of hero and trying to sow some sort of false belief that they're, that they're taking back the country or that they're doing something honorable. It was just, there's, there's so many, so many points, but I, I hope that, that this, and this helped a lot in terms of showing that this is not just the perpetrators and in no way am I saying that what they did is I'm lessening their responsibility in this, uh, this whole event, but if we're going to prevent January 6th from happening or any other kind of event that involves this sort of disinformation of the sort of um, desecration of an institution, mm-hmm. we need to do a lot better. And we need to have these better conversations. We need to bring people back to the table because people are dying. People are dying to, to have these conversations again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, hopefully when things, when things open up again, I hope that that in-person Aspect two can also come back and we can maybe get something forward. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that our words today might fall on deaf ears specifically because the investigation can't continue. So that almost right. deadens that form of yeah. any type of light that may be shed through conversations like this. See, I disagree. I, I disagree a little. I, I'm of the mindset that I think that commission would have been a waste of time and, and effort. I not that's not to say I agree, Sherman, with a lot of what you were saying about investigating mm-hmm. this, about holding people accountable um, mm-hmm. and about, you know, finding out as much information as we can. But as far as the commission goes, we had a, a conversation about this on our discord server. Um, and so if you're listening right now, be sure to find us on discord. Join us mm-hmm. there where we're talking about this stuff all the time. But we were talking about it on Discord, and someone had asked whether what people thought about it and whether they thought it should or shouldn't go through. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't, and a couple other people did. And so we went back and forth a little. I, I'm of the belief that this is different than the nine. So I'll preface this by saying that I wasn't politically involved around the time of the 9-11 commission. I don't really have much context around it. I don't know. Obviously, I know what happened at 9-11, right? But I don't you were know. Like as seven, much. right? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so so I don't want to say that I can really compare the two. But in my my limited understanding of that situation and my better understanding of this one, that one, I think, better better justifies enactment of new law from what happened, whereas this one feels more like a misallocation of resources issue and maybe a budgetary concern, right? If we're going to talk about Capitol Police or or other things. But so for me, I feel like DOJ and FBI are not done investigating this. This is one thing that I think is important to say too, that 
as I've talked to different people about this, one thing that I've found some people believe is that this is just over. People are continually being arrested for this. People have been arrested, you know, I don't want to say every day, but over time from January 6th up until even very recently, people are still continually being found, charged, arrested for this, and the FBI and DOJ are still on it. To me, it feels like more their purview mm -hmm. and turning this over to Congress to, I think their plan was more to serve as the, I guess, compiler, quote unquote, the one taking in the information from the various investigations and holding hearings then on top of that. So I think it should still be investigated, but I think it should be something done by the DOJ or FBI. Mm -hmm. I feel like turning it over Congress is just one more step towards breaking down uh, checks and balances and division of power, right? This isn't a legislative branch thing, I don't think. I mean, again, I'm not the expert. I wasn't around for the 9-11 commission really. So I, I don't know, but I don't know. I thought I'd get your guys' thoughts too and see what you thought about the commission since yeah, that that's just happened now. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, and if I make, if I can make one point about it, I think, um, Zach, you make a really good point about this because we started this idea of a commission thing with Speaker Pelosi, again, regardless of what you think of her, starting with saying, okay, it's going to be Democrat majority led commission. And for a lot of people, especially Republicans are like, well, this is kind of a bad offer, first offer. Right. And it's true because they're saying they want to have an independent commission. Um, and I, I'm on the side of a very, and I mean, I mean, a very, very narrow commission on January 6th, because the problem you know, I'm concerned is that both sides in a way are going to try to expand it to something bigger. So, you know, I've heard, for example, you know, uh, leader McCarthy uh, saying that he wants to look at uh, the uh, BLM protests that happened uh, the, the year before. Um, and then um, I've heard some from some Democrats that they want to look more broadly on, you know, the Trump administration and everything. It's it's just too broad. Like, that's just I don't see the the relations. I think if it's going to be a commission, it's going to have to, in my opinion, I think it has to largely focus on just the capital complex. And I know it sounds really narrow. It doesn't sound very appealing <laughs> to a lot of people because it's like, uh, you know, because the capital police didn't really get a lot of. This, this kind of level of tension really since, um, I believe, when I, was, I remember 1998, when there were, unfortunately there were two Capitol Police officers who were shot and were mm -hmm. uh, and died in line of duty. I do remember reading about that. But they've not, they have not had this scrutiny in a very long time. And I do think, based on something called the Honorary Report, which came out in uh, March of uh, this earlier this year, just a couple months after uh, January 6th. While it's not compre comprehensive because it's such an early report, I do think I do like the fact that General Honore, who is the one in charge of, of leading this report, I do think this focus on the Capitol Police is where this should be going. And the reason yeah. why I say this is because the Capitol Police, for a, a very long time, has been understaffed. They don't have anywhere near the capabilities. They had there were multiple times when they knew that there was going to be a basically a crowd of that size, and you know those kinds of people who have these kinds of ideologies and these kinds of behaviors. Um, and I I think they really uh, I I commend the the those who were obviously fighting for you know the capital and and all that. But I'm just saying overall as an organization, I hope that this commission more narrowly focuses on what 
the Capitol Police and what the Washington Metropolitan Area um, agencies could do rather than growing it to something that could be very partisan. And that's something, something that loses focus on um, on the sources, because again, as I said earlier, it's this isn't the only single event, right? We're focusing on there's there's other sources of partisanship and of other issues that we're dealing with. Uh, but, and I just think that to narrow it down a bit more also keeps keeps the partisans away, and also something that could really be more realistic in terms of an implementation of policies and of, of, of solutions to more securely secure the capital. But hopefully if there's any kind of commission that's based on what I just said, uh, I'm crossing my fingers here. I'm not, not really sure, not highly, highly doubts going to happen, but I hope also hope that there is a very robust and clear mandate for reopening the capital to the public mm-hmm. because I was, as I was telling people, it's, it's so weird because throughout my entire internship, in fact, it was just a few days ago that the national guard was finally uh, let go from the Capitol. So throughout my internship, I had national guard everywhere. Right. And it's just, it's just a weird feeling. I'll tell you, it's a weird feeling. I commend those who came from all 50 States, you know, to convene in Washington. Some of them never been to Washington before. So it was kind of interesting as well for them to look around the Capitol and then certainly in their, um, in their own capacity. But a lot of people were here for quite a while and um, they, uh, and they finally were able to get the opportunity to go home. And I told, I was telling, I told pe- tell people around, I said, we need to, we need to secure this place, but we also need to let people back in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I hope that an investigation is able to make sure that we can do it safely. We can also reopen the Capitol again. So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of my stance on a commission, if that were to be um, put in place. Mm-hmm. Well, following the, uh, following the days after the attack, I remember, uh, some of the interviews on the MSNBC and CNN that said there was a, a call to say, do not shoot, do not you know use deadly force. And there was other also videos of officers letting individuals in. So there's, uh, I mean, whether it be, I'm not sure if they, they've had documentaries put out. I don't, I don't know if they're considered um, either the facts or conspiracies, but we know there's some form of, I guess, pseudo collusion, whether it be from different uh, individuals in the actual in, in the actual Congress and uh, tweets that kind of follow alongside, but in my head, and it kind of goes through my head too. I kind of have these chills almost because I was in the OR when this happened. Um, I was sitting there, I was wondering how, and you know, months later, how exactly could an attack on the United States Capitol happen, and a couple we're all back to normal, as if a hundred years looking back, this would be the biggest thing since COVID. This the, like someone attempting to overthrow, and it's it, it's not even the the I guess typical opposing party, based off of what was also happening politically and societally during that time. It's those who would have had voted for Trump that are trying to overthrow and even call out uh, attempts to kill uh, uh, Vice President um, Pence, which is bizarre to me. Like, what would you do when you get him? Kill him for? Or capture him for what reason? What do you what are you trying to find in, in, in uh, even try to go into Pelosi's office? What are you finding these people will do what exactly? I so my take on that I think is so I mean obviously you know January sixth was horrible as we've all been 
been saying, I think the the change in focus, because I, I agree, that's kind of where we're at right now. It, it was horrible. Everyone was in agreement that it was horrible. And then a lot of people now want to move on, especially like we've we've been saying, Republicans. My take is, I think, I think at least part, and I guess correct me if I'm wrong, if either of you feel differently, I, I think at least part of the difference is the different sense of, um, I guess, collectivism versus individualism, because my take on January 6th was that it was an awful, horrible, atrocious event where a, a good number of people took the time to try to subvert democracy on some level. Right. And then there were other people that, you know, we could get into like Sherman, I think you were touching on at some point, you know, there, there may, there are distinctions to be made, just like there were distinctions to be made over the summer between protesters, rioters and all that. And, you know, and we can get into all of that, but at least the ones that actually breached the Capitol and, you know, in particular, the violent ones and et cetera. But I think looking back on it now, at this point, you know, we're, we're, we've, moved past the event and now we can look back on it in hindsight. In hindsight, to me, my take on January 6th now, in addition to everything that we were talking about, about how you know awful and horrible it is, which I maintain, I think now in hindsight, we can look and see, I think objectively speaking, to me, it's clear that our democracy was never actually threatened. I think that they tried to and that, that evidence is holes in the security and Sherman, like you were talking about Capitol Police and resources. So it evidences flaws in things that we absolutely need to fix to prevent possible national security risks of like the, the highest magnitude. But this event itself didn't turn out to be a national security risk because of the people that were trying to, to do the event, right? It turned out that these were a bunch of jackasses and morons who weren't capable in any sense whatsoever of stopping democracy or stopping the electoral uh, vote count. And so I think whereas my take is that we should spend our resources bolstering security, bolstering capital police and, you know, making sure that lines of communication are actually effective and that we have some sort of plan for things like this. Whereas I think that people and I and simultaneously, I also know being a Republican, being someone that voted for Trump, I know that the people who reached that capital and especially those that were violent, like I don't see that as representative of my party or people like me. Right. So I see it as more of a fringe movement that I don't see as, you know, taking over the Republican Party or anything like that. So I think that motivates on some level my i guess lack of concern for lack of a better word you know obviously it's something that we need to take seriously but i don't see it as as itself a genuine a, a actual threat to our democracy i think that we the democracy survived it it quote unquote won it proved itself and moving forward we need to focus more on making sure something like that doesn't ever happen again, as opposed to, I guess, waiting and and focusing too long on a botched attempt at what happened, if that makes sense. Well, I wouldn't say that this is a tech on democracy. They didn't charge the building to take to to take the word democracy off the door. I don't think they were trying to fight democracy at all. This is a symbolic counting. 
If anything, if, if they were to loosen security, this would be the day they wouldn't when every major individuals in the building versus I guess no pedestrians could be in there. I'm trying to I'm just trying to understand uh, the attack on I don't think it's directly attack on democracy. I wasn't sure what their objective plan was, but I don't think it was to attack an ideology, especially with the people in the in the stands who were in the crowds and remarking on what they were there for. Sure. And and yeah, like you touched on right between the people chanting, hang Mike Pence, right? A lot of them may have had more nefarious purposes than just stopping the count. But like you said, I think that a lot of them didn't really have maybe any specific reason to be there or, or to be violent. So I don't know. I, I just kind of my thoughts on why the this massively different reaction to the event, you know, because like you said, and, and I think the, the sentiment that you're that you're voicing, Brandon, is is more common for more people, I think, hold your sentiment of this was in, insanely fucked up and we need to look into any possible link to things like collusion with Congress people like you were talking about and everything. Right. I see that as just an individual investigation as opposed to a commission on the event. Um, well, and, and you guys, you both were mentioning the word commission and Sherman, I'm going to allow you to jump in right after. I, I, I understand there was an investigation in regards to the 9-11 thing. What was their, I guess, uh, assessment and when did it come out? Because then if, if, it, if it proved that something like that didn't have an objective uh, form of productivity in regards to what its mission was, I don't see the point of trying to in, uh, include it into this one. I'm not sure. Sherman, you sound like you're more more brushed up on policy and, and things. Do you have any more background on the 9-11 commission? Yes. Yeah, so I, my, my big takeaway 9-11 was that the, the main central focus, my, my understanding was really the CIA and FBI sort of collaboration because these mm-hmm. two agencies really struggled to work together before. And there's it's part of the IC world is that, you know, if, when you're and then this was before they put together the Office of Director of National Intelligence and everything, which is, again, also a result of 9-11. But you can imagine, just like in any organization, you kind of want to feel a part of your tribe, you know, part of your um, your your team. And so the the report, while it covered a number of things, one big central thing focused on was on the intelligence community and that the fact that the CIA and the FBI did not do enough to prevent 9-11 and that they could have, had they had done more information sharing and cooperation, which does bring into attention to something. I'll get back to a couple of points that Zach made and um, you, Brandon, as well, um, because I thought it was really, really interesting too. But this is a very Washington thing problem where they put together a commission, but it, it's such a Washington focus, you know, it like something like the IC, for example, you know, even though we have FBI offices all over the country, even though we have the CIA and other, other um, intelligence agencies that have multiple networks of people across the country, across the world, but it doesn't really bring back some of those ideas about, okay, how do we bring people together? Or how do we have more lively conversations? You know, if you don't, if I, if you understand what I'm saying. So I, I really, I, I'm skeptical about the, again, about the January 6th commission that's being put together in terms of the, the scope, because if the scope is wrong, then I don't think we're going to be able to find really the, the sources of some of these other issues that I had pointed out earlier. Mm-hmm. And, 
to um, to Zach's point about how um, this really, I, I agree with them. Uh, when I got back, finally, this was like 9 p.m. You know, I was in lockdown basically for several hours. But finally got there, I saw that the Senate resumed and the right. Senate in the House resumed true. the yeah. counting. I cannot tell you how amazing of a feeling that was, even and though I wasn't to, really right? to jump in really quick too. And yeah, a, sure. a Republican Republicans were also leading that, that effort when they got back, right? That's Pence true. and McConnell and a lot of them did. And many of the senators who had even previously con, um, contested the results, right. Did go back to work, you That's, know, and even them. that so, some people, uh, I think a few almost changed their tune, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Yeah, um, I believe Kelly Leffler, for example, senator yeah. from Georgia at the time, she decided not challenge the mm-hmm. votes from Georgia. Um, some obviously did uh, resume their challenges, which is part sure. of the process. I, I do yeah. want to make, because in 2016, oh, we also had that too, yeah. where we had certain right. Democrats challenge it. So it's Absolutely. part of the process. I think what most, what I was most impressed about was the fact that all the senators, all the House members were back and they were doing this count. It went all the way to four o'clock in the morning and hope uh, hope everyone got enough sleep the next day because it was a working day <laughs> the next day. Um, and especially for, for Vice President Pence because he, you know, he has to preside over the whole thing and um, and uh, all the parliamentarians too, all the, the, you know, the people who, act, who know all the rules and everything and the people who might have to learn from and what everyone else has to learn from when it comes to the rules of Congress. But uh, it, it was just that, that spectacle uh, of seeing the Electoral College count back, it, it was just... Remarkable. I can't, I can't, I can't describe to you how grave a feeling that was uh, after all we've been through. Yeah. All of the news stations commended the efforts uh, and the diligence to getting it done that day. And that, as a country, those who continue to watch like, all right, cool. We can still get back to business. I like that. Right. And that's why I can't take it serious. I, I can't see it as a serious threat to our national security or democracy in hindsight in hindsight i'll say because at the time obviously it was horrendous it it deserved every ounce of seriousness and 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 support and everything that it was getting from you know at, at the time especially when we didn't know what was going on and when it was going on but yeah afterwards you know it i i agree with you it's it was remarkable you know just seeing it shortly after this this horrendous event happens and probably you know one of the the worst attempted attacks on democracy probably i mean probably since 9/11 probably it probably was one of the worst ones since then but having the system regain its composure that quickly you know to me while it while it will always live in the history books we were talking earlier about you know brandon i think you mentioned that it will be one of the you know the biggest things since covid or or something i think it will always maintain that it'll it'll always be looked back on as one of these 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 tragic days but i think simultaneously we need to also frame it as one of and this is gonna this is gonna sound this is gonna sound weird um we need to frame it as simultaneously one of the brighter days in American history too, because it evidenced the capability of our democracy to rise back up. It evidenced the capability of the Republic to not crumble like previous ones, you know, in the past. The country that rises up and continues voting for a symbolic count versus the officers that died on that day being beaten ahead with American flags. I think, I think the bad outweighs the good in every regard. 
I think it's just like more of a horrific day than a good day. Like, yeah, it's amazing during 9-11 that that one plane didn't hit the White House, but then it hit the other two targets. Like, I think the bad kind of always the, the good in this one. Oh, sure. But even with 9-11, we talked about 9-12 when we had talked about it before and how the country kind of came together. And then, you know, we, we differed on this a little then, too. But, you know, I, I see 9-11 almost the same way following shortly following it with how the country came together after, you know, it, it the country more or less outside. And, and we can get into outside of the, the you know, the anti-Muslim sentiment and the other problems that came with it, too. But, you know, I, I, well, I, I would say I can attest to the camaraderie that came post the 9-11 era, because I remember people describing that that feeling to me. But I would say after the the insurrection, it was really at least with the, the adults that were around the age who were there and a little bit older. They're like nah, more saying I wish I was there or they couldn't necessarily fully condemn it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was interesting, the, those who would have very strong opinions on many of the things that happened within the United States, especially on the news, especially during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very quiet and timid, timid tones uh, after that day. Yeah. Well, and Sherman, this gets to your point of division, right? And right. The, the idea that we're still divided. I mean, do you think that this is... Where, where do we go from here? I mean, do we wait and, you know, the, the commission presumably is not going to happen. Um, the investigation will still continue on the side of the DOJ and FBI and, and so on. Do you, going forward, you know, with this, with this division that still lingers between not just January 6th, but the 2020 election and kind of the country as a whole, right, with the culture wars going on and everything. I mean, where do you, where do you think we go from here? Right. Well, a couple things. Number one is that about the, the, the commission real briefly. I sure. mean, they, they set themselves a very, very tight deadline. They, mm-hmm. I believe the text says something along the lines of how they have to finish their report by December 31st, which if anyone knows anything about government knows that is very, very slow. <laughs> so yeah. um, it was like a glacier. And uh, it, I, I was just like, yeah, I, I, I wish, I wish I had that. I wish I had this much time for an essay, you know, f- six, six, seven months to do an essay, but this is something very, very different. So I just want to point out that the, the feasibility is definitely going to be a huge issue when it comes to um, people having some sort of faith that there's going to be some kind of bipartisan resolution to like, okay, we're going to fix this problem. We're going to look at what happened and then we're going to fix it and everything. I, I don't see that happening, but largely number one thing that has been trending, and I don't say this as a pun, but one thing is trending is social media when it comes to social media companies. Um, Not, not too long ago, I think it was several weeks ago, there was a very, contentious, oddly bipartisan. Now, the bipartisan part is the fact that Democrats and Republicans were easily angry. Not they were they were angry about different things, but they're both easily angry at social media companies. Um, Democrats have the stance that social media companies don't do enough for disinform about combating disinformation or allowing um, a lot of still a lot of bad content on their platforms. Republicans are coming in um, saying that um, there are notable conservatives who are being silenced on social media platforms. 
so what's going to be interesting is going to be seeing how social social media companies are going to play into this too, because we, I know we may have touched upon this a little bit before in our conversation about January 6th, uh, but you can imagine there's, there's bipartisan rage at social, social media companies during this time. And not to mention how big they've become and, um, you know, Amazon, while it's not social media company, it kind of gets lumped into this, um, this uh, whole, kinda, yeah. right, this, exactly, this big tech um, aspect, a competition and this kind of battle between Washington and Silicon Valley. They also tend to take more of the socialistic uh, trend when it comes to things like you can't necessarily buy Trump flags on there, where other places wouldn't necessarily have banned a Trump flag, or you can't buy they a certain percenter flag. Books. Yeah, so, certain yeah. Ban- banning book. They're on the side of in in the more I can't liberal I just end. said that <laughs> Amazon's banning books anyway sorry continue yeah, right? <laughs> no you're good uh, you're good I, and uh you know looking at the landscape right now one thing i wanted to see and i don't know when this is going to happen but i would i'm so curious to know if members ha- personally not on camera but personally have gone along along a bit more mm-hmm. um, in their personal lives and now it's a personal matter so no member has to reveal this but i i would be surprised if members weren't closer together after this event and it doesn't seem apparent at all on tv and on social media and that's because part of the world you know of c-span and not to cast blame on c-span or anything but in this world of being able to broadcast floor speeches, looking as if it's like a uh, like a soliloquy or uh, I guess or, or a monologue, you know, something that you can post on your social media account and say, "Look at how I defended democracy right here," you know, something along the lines of that. It's still there, and so that's why it's still not apparent uh, of the kinds of personal dynamics, personal relationship dynamics that are happening in Congress. Cause I, I just, overall, it's, it's not just because of January 6th, but I, my belief is I think there's a lot more connectivity and personal relationships, positive ones between members of Congress that a lot of people don't know about. And I kind of wish that if people just knew about them and knew that, Hey, you know, maybe Bernie Sanders can actually be friends with so-and-so. In fact, I believe Bernie Sanders, one of his best friends is Senator Jim Inhofe is one of the most conservative senators, uh, Senator from Oklahoma. Um, How many people really know that, that fact, right? And so as we kind of think about, I mentioned social media, I mentioned a little bit about the commission, everything. If we don't, get to get back to this idea of finding new ways to uh, to have bipartisan talk if um, if we don't get to that point then we're, we're then we're gonna be in serious trouble then we and then we are gonna be regressing I, I highly recommend and this is just maybe it's just the congressional junkie side of me <laughs> speaking <laughs> but there was a committee called the select modernization of Congress committee I'm not sure if uh, if you guys have heard of that or if anyone in the audience has heard of it, but it's, it's a committee that decide, you know what, we're going to do something different. And they put a bipartisan committee together. This was back in 2019. And they renewed this committee again for this con- Congress, 117th Congress. And this committee basically put it, put together a report of all of different, all the different solutions, both large and small that they think could have more people coming together. For example, having, uh, staffers and members mingle 
and to be able yeah. to just talk, not just talk about politics, talk about other things, having bipartisan retreats, which is something that occurs every now and then, but doesn't really get reported, even some basic things like upgrading IT and things like that. And when you look at something like this, like this committee here, I use this as an example, but I think it shows that I think there is potential. Um, there is potential to have this kind of bipartisan talk and finding ways to, for people to come together. People just need leadership, though. They need guts. And mm -hmm. I, I am really hoping that there will be members currently and in the future who can speak out and say, you know, things don't have to be this way. We don't just have to be t talking about one day um, and debate whether or not to prosecute this person, that person, because that's the responsibility, as you, as I think, Zach, you pointed out about okay. the responsibility of the FBI and the DOJ. You know, that yeah. is their job. Well, I think everyone, everyone else, I think needs to play a role in this, but I don't think it has to be about January 6th. I think it has to be about how we do things and how important institutions are. Because if we lose our institutions, we don't have anything. We don't have ways to pass along ways, uh, uh, ways to make progress and uh, ways to unify and uh, find common ground. Um, and uh, I, I hope that members can also maybe start a podcast. I think that'd be really cool. A bipartisan podcast. I think that'd be, <laughs> that'd be, that'd be something I like to listen to. <laughs> maybe you can be its catalyst. Maybe you can be that hand in between both worlds, the podcast world and uh, there and see what happens. Yeah. You bring us a Republican and a Democrat and we'll talk to when, them and say what needs well, to happen. Ma matter, <laughs> matter of fact, when, when next time election season comes around, we should, uh, Get a couple of your um, get a couple of your buddies and have them come on the podcast. <laughs> that'd be great. That'd be uh, that'd be amazing. Because uh, I I love talking to those who work on the everything because they you know they they obviously support a lot of what's happening. Right. We have four hundred thirty five members in the house, hundreds of senators, but there's a there's thousands of other people who are working behind the scenes. And uh, it'd be nice to get uh, maybe in their in their capacities, maybe some former staffers and all that to to come on and to share a little bit about. Um, what they like to do and what uh, what their viewpoints are as well, because they really they really are the backbone of Congress, uh, in my view, because um, just because of all the things that are happening, and they don't get a lot of credit. Uh, so I try to, in my in my in my small capacity, try to <laughs> recognize what they do too, because they they do a lot for our members. Um, that, and yes, mm -hmm. that is quite outstanding. We will definitely. Uh be reaching back on this topic very soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I want to, I want to focus in and hone in on this for a little bit. I know we, we talked at the beginning about, you know, turning this to left-wing and right-wing extremism. Um, and I feel like that's kind of its whole other beast that, that we haven't gotten into and we probably don't have the time to, we'll definitely talk at some other point about it for sure. But I, I want to hone in on this idea that you were talking about just about talking to each other on, on other sides of the aisle. And it started with you describing your own experience with with interning with both sides, because like that to me, that's something that nowadays I feel like I, I'm I'm very and I don't mean this in a bad way at all. I'm shocked to hear that someone is willing to do that. Right. I'm, I'm shocked to hear that someone is willing to engage with both sides. And that kind of makes me upset that I'm shocked by it. But it's it's stuff like that, like you said, that we need to do and talking to people you know, we, everyone likes to shit on workplace icebreakers and, and team building skills and things like that, or, or going to, to, a, a work bowling event or some shit, you know, they, they're always awful and, and contrived and things, but they're, 
it's that that concept of if you can treat each other like humans, then you can work together better, right? You can you can tolerate each other and and maybe focus a little less on the differences because well, you both like bowling. And I mean, that's kind of, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is bring people together on other sides and, you know, that may disagree on things that they can come together and talk civilly. Like you said, Sherman, at the beginning, this is part of uh, the value system that the country was founded on is the civil discourse um, between people. And I, I just think that that, that I, I, well, I agree with you that that's where we need to focus our effort, but I think that it gets back to this point we had talked about. Um, I interviewed Eric Fretz, a lecturer at University of Michigan, and he said that basically people are now to the point where they've devolved to calling the other side evil, not necessarily just different, not just wrong, but evil. And you can't, it's hard to call someone evil if you just sat down with them and had a beer or, right. you know, played right. a board game or a video game, right? And and then suddenly now they're coming back to you and and they say, oh, you know, I, I, I agree or disagree with that bill pertaining to this, I don't know, insert sensitive topic here, right? The, the abortion bill that was happening, the, the transgender bill that was happening, the, you know, whatever. And you just had a beer with this person the last night. You're, no, you're a lot less likely to be like, oh, well, you're just... A piece of shit then huh <laughs> so <laughs> i i think that that's a super important point that you made and i just wanted to focus on it that that i i agree 100 that's where we're lacking right now both on the po politician side but then on on the citizenry too for sure yeah. well thank thank you so much for those kind words about you know <laughs> about my two stints there and i i share this because i i learned so much from both offices um, the networking the opportunity to work for the office and not just a member. And yep. it sounds trivial, but it's really important. It goes back to the idea of the fact that Congress is very much built on staffers. And to be able to know these people and to know what their career is like, to be able to know what they're working on, then being able to network is a phenomenal part of Capitol Hill. That's why I'm also very vehement opponent of remote internships for Congress because it just it just takes away so much mm -hmm. of what Congress is Congress to congregate as in in the very word and to be able to work for both sides and be able to share with people at least talk with people from both sides it's been such a valuable asset because people then I'll say, okay, well, at least this person doesn't think my side is all bad people, you right. know, <laughs> right? And and the the guard kind of goes down a little bit. I've I've noticed in my experience, um, and I I hope to use this you know, these these two experiences while they're in, in administrative internships. You know, you get to a new office where you get to get that experience, but they're also I think ones that can knock down more barriers mm -hmm. than, uh, than more than just the ones in Congress, but maybe with uh, folks in across the country uh, to be able to share with them and know that everyone's got going to have different experiences. Don't get me wrong. And, and also the experience is what you make of it. Mm -hmm. But when I talk to people now from uh, both the Democrat side, Republican side, even independents, maybe some people who are once maybe more one side or, or, or the other side, 
it feels a lot better when you tell them that, Hey, I don't hate all of you. <laughs> you know? So yeah. without actually saying it, so that we're just, just telling them a bit about it, your background. And, um, it's, it really is. I, I will say, and this is, I am not getting paid by Congress to say this, but I, uh, I highly recommend no matter where people are, whether, where their interests lie, whether it's in politics or not, I highly encourage people to get involved in, any, any profession that involves dealing with people, especially in the government side, because you learn about bureaucracy, you learn about relationships and connections. And these, and these are all skills that I think are going to be valuable to anyone who, anyone who's going to any sort of profession. Um, and so I just recommend that even if it's for a, uh, an official on a local level, state level or federal level, I'd say go for it. You never know who you're going to meet and you never know right. where, this could lead you. Um, and I've certainly learned kind of that uh, during my experience. So I just want to kind of add, add that to the conversation today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. We, we really appreciate the perspective, like I said before. Um, and I, I agree 100%. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm biased. I'm, I'm currently doing that too. I'm um, working with the, or rather I'm, doing the Heritage Foundation's uh, Academy program currently. So I'm like sort of dipping my foot into the mix uh, Mm -hmm. recently. But yeah, no, I would agree. Very good. 100%. And if you don't, even if you don't want to get involved, like if you're, you know, if you're just doing something else, if you're too busy, if you've got, you know, a a completely different career that's uninvolved with government, at at the very least, you know, read up a little, you know, read some of the founding documents, read some of the, I've started reading the Federalist Papers recently, right? And it it gives you some more context on all of this stuff that we're talking Mm -hmm. about. And, you know, the... It, it, it also makes you more likely to be a more well-informed citizen that isn't going to go and breach the Capitol because you think you have the right to, to overthrow the government because <laughs> you instead understand, you know, how, how things are supposed to work. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I still, I, if someone asked me one time, so if you were to put out a bill in the house, um, let's just say in the house, what would you do? And I would say, put a bill out so that the, you you make the house representatives do what the Senate does, which is read Washington's farewell address every year. Right. <laughs> so yeah. The Senate does it. I don't know why the house does it, to be honest, uh, why the house doesn't do it. I should say it's, it's really weird. I, I'm, I'm one of those guys, you knew coming into uh, me coming into this conversation, I'm going to be <laughs> some kind of founding fathers person. And here, <laughs> here's my, here's my little bit. Um, and I, I love, I just a bit about what you you were saying, the founding documents. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of great writing there. Um, there's a lot of thinking and a lot of putting different ideas together. You know, my my dad sent me a quote from uh, Eleanor Roosevelt today, and he says, "I try and remember the quote. It's great minds think of ideas to talk about ideas. Average people talk about events, um, and." the lowest, lowest level people talk about people. Yeah. (laughs) So so I I say this quote because uh, this is really the kind of venue we're in where we're talking about ideas or discussing of how we move forward, different ways of, of looking at the same event or different ways of looking at these different trends that are happening uh, in our country. Um, We, we just need, we really do need more of that. Um, And I just, I, I, I just want to emphasize that because too often, especially in this, this day and age, we, we really are in a lot, in a lot of echo chambers. Um, And 
there, I think there's definitely echo chambers going on in certain levels of government too. Um, <laughs> if more people kind of got out and, you know, say go bowling, right. Uh, or going to, I say going to nationals game is my personal preference of a best bipartisan trip. Uh, yeah. maybe just, I'm a baseball person. So, um, and both sides can root for the, for the nationals. I think that, that could be really nice. Uh, in fact, it's very fitting for the name there, there too. Um, but I, I also want to just, um, add one more thing to what you were saying, sure. Zach, earlier, mm-hmm. earlier, which is, you know, you think about this event that we've been discussing for most of this episode about the, uh, the, the event and how it, it's a victory. Uh, I, I cannot, I want to just bring about this point of that is, that is a really powerful statement. It's very hard because the, the visuals kind of depict a, a contrary, mm-hmm. right? Because people perceive the the breach and everything, but I really hope that there's more of this, this sort of thinking and this sort of mindset that we, um, we will emerge from this, you know, no matter how far in the future we go, we emerge from this as a better nation. That's our goal. And the way we do it is we have podcasts like this. We, the way we do it is we, when we bring people together and to tell one another, you're my fellow citizen. You're my fellow countrymen. We are in this together. If when we have differences, I mean, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill used to have huge differences, especially on different domestic policy. But it was after five or six o'clock uh, in the evening that they got together as friends, that they got to get, have dinners, have spent time with their families. Um, maybe we should have like a Reagan, Tip O'Neill sort of standard when it comes to politics. Is we have those times to uh, to debate, to debate our opponents, not our enemies. Um, then we have those times where we can do things that are not politics related, uh, but eating great food, going to a football game, uh, going bowling, or doing all those those fun things. And that's uh, that's 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 my hope too. Uh, hopefully, I can get able to do a lot more of that those activities this coming summer and beyond when things open up. Right. Well, I, I think that's probably one of the better closings we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> um, but usually when we were able to tie things up, we want to toss it back to our guests to say, is there any any last comments that you want to say? The, the, the podcast itself is say what he's saying. You're given the platform. Your camera's here, here, and here. What are your few statements you want to say in regards to just laying it all on the table? Absolutely. Well, I first want to thank you, you guys, Zach and Brandon, for having me on. Um, this is really quite an opportunity for me. And I think your title says it all about what we need to be doing, which is to say what needs to be said. And I want to just close with a couple last remarks here. First is that I hope people have been able to get a bit of a glimpse of you know what it was a, a little bit like in, on, on the night, on the day of January 6th. And um, w- while I couldn't give all the details, I really hope that there will be an opportunity for people to learn more about what exactly happened. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I love to have more oral history projects. If there aren't any going on in the Smithsonian or Library of Congress, I really hope that there is something like that um, because people want to uh, just, you know, listen, you know, just to hear what people have to say. And, when we do more listening, that's when we could be doing more doing. Um, and this podcast and um, this way of convening, bringing uh, three guys together to discuss a very important topic uh, is phenomenal. And uh, no, the last thing I would say is um, to 
keep yourself posted on what happens. Um, there's, there's so much out there. It's, it's a lot to, uh, to compress and to process, mm-hmm. uh, but doing more reading, reading a side that doesn't necessarily agree with you, um, having those kinds of non-political activities and just doing things, just living life. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the kinds of th- ways that we make our country special and a country that's not only special, but exceptional in many different ways. Um, and I just want to, again, express my appreciation to Zach and Brandon for having me on. And uh, this, I think this is a wonderful conversation. We touched about a lot of subjects. I know there's, there's a whole other uh, episode or maybe series about. I was thinking the same extreme, thing. It be a series. <laughs> yeah. um, but I hope that this was a good conversation to set, set up for that um, a particular conversation or a series of conversations, because this will be, I'm sure, uh, be a central topic in those conversations about left and right wing extremism. But again, mm-hmm. thank you so much to both and to the audience for listening. I really appreciate you all. For sure. Uh, Sherman Tyloski. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, we are say what needs saying on Instagram and Facebook. We're say what needs saying Twitter. We're say what needs um, I'm going to keep saying it until it's up where our website is going to be say what needs saying.com. Be sure to check mm-hmm. us out there. And then Sherman, you've got the, uh, the friends and fellow citizens podcast. Where can people find you at? Sure. So you can look up friends and fellow citizens on your favorite podcast app. It's available on all the major apps, Apple podcasts, Spotify, a Stitcher, et cetera. Um, but you also go onto my website, Sherman I'll spell that for you. So Sherman is S H E R m-a-n-t-y-l-a-w-s-k-y.com and you can find out more information about my podcast and about some of the other things i'm doing all right yeah no check him out this was a great conversation i definitely think we need to do this again 100 (laughs) percent Uh, we'll definitely have you back on again. We try to do, so the the podcast, and this is a little late in the conversation, I guess, the podcast, we try to do different topics. We'll do politics like this, but then we'll talk about religion or culture and, you know, other things like that. So we'll, we'll definitely be hitting you up again in the future for our politics segments and to talk about this stuff more. Um, and we'd love to, you know, I, I'm hoping to do the same with some of the connections I, I formed through Heritage, but... You know, if you happen to know some people and we can get together some Republicans and Democrats from, um, you know, from D.C. in in here together to talk about some of these important things, feel free to let us know if you have any ideas um, or any leads. We'd, we'd love to do something like that and, and come together like that for sure. Brandon, sorry. I was saying not even that. A few more interactions like this in a couple of years, let's all meet up in D.C. and have it all have a same yeah. thing episode in live. That'd yeah. be great. I would love that <laughs> to count yeah. me in for that. Send me That'd an invite. Awesome. But uh, Brandon, Zach, I'm, I, to be honest, uh, this was really, really good. And uh, I'm really glad that I was able to get this set up. And I know that, so that a lot of things are happening. And uh, I'm glad to be back in California. I was, again, I was in DC for a few months. So it was good to be back to uh, recharge a little bit. And um, you, you guys have been amazing. I'd love to come back again. Um, I'd love to uh, also have you on my show too. I think that'd be really great too. Cause, um, uh, you got, you got a great title and you're, and you're running with it. So, so that's <laughs> the, <laughs> well, we appreciate it for sure. So Sherman, take care. Thanks so much for joining us and we will talk in the future. Sounds good. You guys take care. <laughs>